Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Daryl Sequeira. And Daryl has been a guest on this program off and on for the last five years or so. And we called Daryl to come in to chat a little bit because his background is in American religious and social history. Daryl, welcome back to our program. Hey, it's good to be back, Rick. We're at a very interesting time in our nation's history. There's a lot that's been going on, and I think it's time for us to have the bravery to talk about it. And it's a scary thing to talk about on a show like this, but we need to talk about it as Catholics. Sure. So with that in mind... We really need prayers. Would you please open us up with a word of prayer? Be glad to. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we just place our world, our nation, our local governments, and our people in your hands. As we go through this extraordinary time in our country's history, we pray for our communities, for peace among all of our communities, that we may come together united under one faith, one belief in God, and that this faith can carry us through as it always has throughout the ages. And we ask these things especially in your mother's name, Mary, so that she may continue to bless us and guide us as well. And we ask these things as well in your son's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father Son, and the, Son and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. All right. We live in very interesting times, and that is a curse that's uh, known from China for a long time. Yes. And um, it's it's time, I think, we talk a little bit of, about it. So let's describe it a little bit. Okay. Um, what stands out for you, Daryl, as to how you would describe the events of what's going on. If you were asked, say, by um, some uncle who's been off in the Himalayas for mm-hmm. the last two years, so what's happening in your nation, what would you describe physically is happening in the nation? How would you describe it? Well, again, obviously this, you know, um, virus that has infected all of us this COVID 19 has i think taken us for a, a a big hit i mean obviously with social distancing people wearing face masks and things like this cooped it's, up in their house for and weeks and in at their a time. houses for weeks at a time again various states had different levels of different things but all said and done as a country as a world we've been isolating ourselves and isolation is never a good thing you know, historically, when you isolate yourselves, it can lead all kinds of, you know, social problems. And I think we're seeing some of that in our country today um, that, again, is a result of this. And we're not, as human beings, we're not used to being by ourselves. We're not monks in a monastery. So when we miss that social interaction between friends and family, things tend to get a little bit, I guess you could say, dicey. Well, but people aren't just leaving their homes to go to the beach, though they're doing that, and mm-hmm. we're going off to national parks or whatever we're having large demonstrations Mm -hmm. we're having we've had some violence in some of the cities we've got protests that have been ongoing so they've got occupation zones that have appeared and a lot of people who have lived normal lives i I guess it's a way of putting it Mm -hmm. are are looking at this and they're pretty perplexed so i I guess where i want to go with this if you were still talking to your your relative from the Himalayas, Mm -hmm. what would you say is causing what seems to be craziness other than just being locked up for COVID-19? Because I think most of the people who are protesting would say it's not because of that. It's because we have a genuine beef. Mm -hmm. Are you saying it really is only because of the virus? You're saying that's a catalyst for part of it? I think it's a catalyst for what's been going on in our country, in our society, particularly in the United States, obviously. These are underlying issues, Rick, I think, that have been in our nation and maybe just simply haven't been addressed in the way they should be. And again, coming from a history background, and you know my background in history, I think a lack of understanding of historical perspective can be manipulated in many ways. That whether it's the media, whether it's it's those kinds of things that are causing people to go to this, I think a lack of that knowledge is a real basis for what's happening. And I think the COVID lockdowns and things have only made that more as exacerbated that. 
And so the news you're getting is what you simply see on your social media account, for example, or in the media. If you watch a certain, only certain number of news stations, you're getting this perspective. There isn't, as again, I like to say when I taught history, a historical connection that as human beings, we see these things kind of cyclically going through our society. And without that foundational knowledge of history, and then compounded that, I think we've talked before previously on other accounts, without a basis of knowledge and faith in God, people tend to, again, panic at that point. So there are underlying issues that are behind these these various disturbances and riots. And Right now we're up place. close and personal. Yes. Because, so I guess I compare it to if you were standing right next to a runway at a major international airport mm-hmm. and watched a plane come right at you and land on the runway, and you're right at the middle point, so it's going really fast right, right past right. you. It's super fast, and it's huge, and it's loud, and it's it's zoomed right by you as it's coming to a stop. Yet that same airplane going twice as fast up in the sky at 20,000 feet looks like it's barely moving right? because of the distance mm-hmm. and the perspective and taking a step back and looking at it. It's it's kind of looking at the train up close and then looking at the train from a distance. Mm-hmm. The reason why I wanted you to come on was because you've had a chance in the past to help us see a little historical distance to different things that are happening. And mm-hmm. so... I'm looking at what's been going on, and I, I realize we've got a number of people who have very heartfelt and uh, very distinct causes that have brought them into the streets or brought them out to do mm-hmm. some of the things that have happened. Sure. But as you're trying to say, there's always more to the picture. Yes. And a lot of it is even more than a lot of the news cycle people understand because it's historical in its patterns as well. Mm-hmm. Is that Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it, uh, Rick. I think, again, you've got to understand that the news productions that are going today are, again, driven in part by making money. I mean, there's advertising that goes on with that. So they're going to play to an audience. They're going to play to a particular perspective, or you might call it an agenda. They're not taking, per se, the historical look at these things or the faith perspective. And so it's like news has been throughout all of its what we'll call mass media, starting in the late 19th century, it's what's called yellow journalism back then. It was to sensationalize certain things, to whip up whatever feeling it might be, whether it was a Spanish-American war or whatever. I think we're seeing some of those same kinds of things today, whether it's an adversarial relationship with whatever administration's in office. They're going to play that role. Yeah. And that really began the Watergate era. But it's, I think that's where I'm seeing these kinds of things. So people get into their little bubbles, mm-hmm. and they don't take a bigger perspective on it. They don't recognize that there are communities that, for whatever reasons, have faced racial injustice in society. And if you've only lived in a certain area, you're not really aware of that. And so you need to listen to what people are saying. And I think that's where some of this is coming from, from some of these protests. No one is listening to us, and we want to be listened to, whether that's historically a minority community or even, again, economically displaced individuals from any you know ethnic group. They're not feeling listened to. And when you don't understand that history, and that's why it's so, why I'm kind of a, you know, besides teaching theology, history is so important. So we can understand where people are coming from. And I see a lack of knowledge of that. Now, I know that there's been great pushes within some of these groups for people to get on board. Mm-hmm. And if you don't somehow get on board with their ideology, that you, you are to be ashamed. You are mm-hmm. to be, there's almost a, a coercive pressure right. that's being put on a lot of people. And whenever I see that happen, regardless of who's doing it, mm-hmm. I always want to take a step back and say, wait a minute, if your cause is, is good, then we should be able to reason it through. Correct. Yeah. Let's, let's talk this through. So one of the things I want to be able to do, because I, I'm not in any way suggesting that as a as a beginning that anyone is right or wrong on on what's been going on but i do want to take a step back and have a chance during this this hour to talk a little bit about what seems to be in the background what's the reasons behind what's been going on mm-hmm. and from a catholic perspective what should we be considering what should we be not even what should we be doing yet mm-hmm. I, I think even at that level we have to go back again and ask for even more guidance on the individual level but from a foundational level, what are the considerations that are going into this? So with that in mind, I'm reminded of uh, some conversations I've had with my father, 
who's retired from the news industry. He was an anchorman and news director on the East Coast mm-hmm. in the South for, for a long time, but had done a lot of work um, in politics. Uh, he'd interviewed uh, every president since Kennedy mm-hmm. uh, up until recently. And um, he had some stories to tell, and I remember a couple of things that he said that stuck with me. He said that when the press covered, like, John Kennedy, who was sure. who was known to be a philanderer, someone okay. who, that if there was any evidence for it and they were not there directly covering it, and almost no one did, mm-hmm. it was pretty much ignored by the press because they their job was to talk about what was going on in the government, what was right. going on with Poli- the presidency. Policy issues. The policy issues of the president. And even if they saw some things that would kind of cause someone on a on a scandal sheet to want to wag their tongue about it, they ignored it pretty much. Mm-hmm. And it was just pretty much understood. You were to ignore that kind of, of a story. He said, and I've seen this, I've seen information on it since then, that back in the time of, of Roosevelt, and this is before his day, but he knew people that covered Roosevelt, it was commonly understood you didn't dare show... President Roosevelt is a physically handicapped man, right. even though that he, had he needed a wheelchair. Correct. And he, did, he had to walk with assistance. And that's very true. The, the issue that, again, was being reported is the actual news to inform people. Not that, again, the news business hasn't been about advertising. I think it's become more so with a competition. you got to remember that back when Kennedy was president, uh, there were three major networks. Yeah. You didn't have the Internet. You didn't have a variety of different sources. Now everyone's vying for that market, so to speak. And that's probably the best way to put it. It's a market that they're looking to do, that they have to do things that are going to appeal to their market audience. And I think that's a detriment to how news is being reported today. It's become competitive in a market. Exactly. And then we have a couple of other things that have happened historically, which I'm sure we can get into. But in the 1960s, we had the Vietnam War, right. which uh, led to a great deal of discord. The 68 uh, riots that took place and the assassinations that took place mm-hmm. with Martin Luther King and with Robert Kennedy underscored uh, just how divided the country can become. Correct. The Nixon resignation under Watergate, and then comes Ronald Reagan. And I remember, I remember personally the coverage of Ronald Reagan and how you had an attitude that had already developed of... Ronald Reagan is not a serious president mm-hmm. by some people. And other people saying, pushing back, Ronald Reagan's one of the great patriots. Mm-hmm. And it kind of has grown from there. It's gotten almost magnified ever since, hasn't it? Yeah, I would agree with that assessment, Rick. I think that what the 1960 did for us, and we're, again, I'm not saying that we're reliving that same upheaval, but there is very much a parallel with roots that. to it. Too. There's roots to that, that, you know, you've got this... When you had Kennedy years, you kind of had this idea of the Camelot, you know, and then when Kennedy assassinated, it shocked the nation. Sure. We've had presidential assassinations prior, but this kind of shocked the nation because you saw this on television. No well, one saw Lincoln being assassinated. No, no one saw Garfield. And all of a sudden, the guy who comes afterwards is no Kennedy. He's not. Exactly. Doesn't have the charisma. Doesn't have the charisma. And now we've got the Vietnam War. Right. And in the midst of this, again, there's this growing kind of distrust, I think, if you look historically, that really kind of exploded in the 1960s. So the Vietnam War was one of those things. You know, the body counts, all the things that went on with that. And then you get, in 1968, you get the Tet Offensive, which comes out later. All of a sudden, the government's not telling us the truth. Then you get the Watergate era, and the same thing occurs. So you've got this news industry that now is looking for the next scandal, that is looking for the next controversy. And I think that's where we've come from. So when we come back, I want to get from where our attitude has grown from to where we are today and why. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Daryl Sakara, and we're talking about the situation in our country generally and how we as Catholics might want to think a little bit about it. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope here in beautiful Garden Grove, California. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Daryl Sequeira. And Daryl has been on, off and on for the last five years when we've had things we want to talk about that are going on in the American scene. And right now we've got a lot going on in the American scene and the American psyche. So with that in mind, we have been talking a little bit about what might be contributing Mm-hmm. to the attitudes of the people who are so engaged in public protest and our society right now. Right. 
So with that in mind, we were talking a little bit about some of the roots that came out of the 1960s. So let's fast forward a little bit. We end up with Reagan. Some We've got people looking at Reagan from a partisan perspective mm-hmm. within different uh, news organizations already. I know that uh, Clinton had detractors. Sure. I know that George W. Bush, people called him a buffoon because mm-hmm. he was misunderestimated, as I recall. Yes, that was one of his famous, one of his famous, famous new words that came, came into the English vocabulary. And then came Barack Obama, and it kind of swung the other way. And again, you had people that looked at him, and it, it almost the divide kept getting bigger and bigger, yes. not less and less. And now with Mr. Trump, we have, of course, it's very palpable that you have some news organizations that clearly don't like some of Mr. Trump's policies or sure. not working well with them. Mm-hmm. Either way, he certainly attacked them. Yes. And some that he seems to favor. Mm-hmm. And that's been far more more obvious in his term than in previous terms. I think right. I navigated those yeah, minefields I th- I th- I think, pretty yeah, well. There's, there's a lot of minefields that we can take but, a look at. But that. the reality is it's gotten worse as a reported phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But that's only part of what's going on here. Sure. We've got real citizens that are out there and they're protesting in ways that aren't just going out onto the sidewalk with with uh, signs and mm-hmm. trying to get your attention. They're not just trying to talk about their ideas, nor are they trying to just simply do a peaceful protest that might be mildly coercive, like what happened during the, the civil rights movement, right. where you would have people walking across the Selma Bridge, not blocking traffic, just walking across the bridge, and are confronted and are willing to face the risk of martyrdom sure. in order to have their message get across. The people that are out there right now aren't interested so much in martyrdom. No, and Rick, I think if you look at the 1960s, you look at Martin Luther King Jr., his basis of his, we'll call it social justice program, was to have a Christian moral perspective in it. He was a Protestant minister who God was very important to him. Obviously, that was part of his whole motivation in doing what he did to build a just society based on a religious moral system. Even if you look at the more controversial leader of the 1960s, Malcolm X, he came from the Muslim perspective, but it was still a faith perspective. And that was kind of what really kind of led to his assassination eventually as well, was that he went against what were the more radical elements within his his own movement. Well, he moved from an American version of Islam to, to a, a more, more true Middle, East Middle Eastern understanding Islam. after his Hajj, his, his pilgrimage to Mecca. Uh, and so that, again, he went away from what would be a more, I'm going to call it secular, for lack of a better term, trying to get a economic, secular, social justice system. What I'm seeing here is you do not have that same kind of leadership in the movements today, where it's looking at historical wrongs that have been happened, whether it's in the black community, whether it's in the Hispanic community that have been here. We need to acknowledge that, and history teachers need to make sure they cover that in their classes. So I want to make sure we cover a little of that in our next section. Yes. But I don't want to interrupt your point. So the point being is that we don't see those same religious connotations that Martin Luther King had or Malcolm X had in the 1960s civil rights thing that could be used as a way of of a calming effect, so to speak. That without that, I think, foundation, and this is where we as Catholics need to look at this, We need to bring that back into what we see as social justice within our society, whether it's the issue of immigration, whether it's racial divisions. Without that component, Rick, I don't think we're going to be able to solve these issues. And that really, I think, is key to understanding both what happened in the 1950s and 60s and to trying to hopefully address those issues. And I think our bishops have really kind of nailed that in what they've been talking about in the statements from the USCCB, is that without God in this, we're going to continue to shout at each other. Because it's going to be my party versus your party, my ideology versus your ideology, when what's going to be the unifying factor is that faith aspect. Well, there's also a faith aspect that takes it beyond the here and now in Christianity Mm -hmm. that is lost. And so everything depends on us right now. Correct. If there is no faith. Uh, As you know, my my graduate background uh, that I'm engaging in is really from the second century. But I've done some work on... A philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. Yes, um, familiar with him. Not, not from a positive perspective, <laughs> but just listening to what his critique was. Uh, and he had some interesting observations. He was actually, for those of you, most of you know who Nietzsche was as a name. You might not know yeah. that he was, what his philosophy was about. But his background was as a philologist, meaning he studied languages 
of ancient Rome. And what he came up with essentially was that what led to the to the gradual destruction and downfall of Rome was that uh, Christianity poisoned it mm-hmm. because ancient Rome had been a strong um, advocate of the strong. And you take what you can get and the strong has a right to take what they can get from the weak who have no right to have it. And what Christianity did was come along and say, well, wait a minute, the weak have rights, too. The weak should be protected, too. Mm-hmm. And what's more, I'm not willing to kill you to establish the rights of the weak, but I am willing to die correct for right. it, which is a whole different way of looking. It's not just war theory there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't come till later. Right. In the 200s, and you read someone like Tertullian on martyrdom, it's all about, are you willing to die for the faith in order to just make a point? As he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Correct. Meaning, when you see someone who's willing to die for what they believe in, not willing to kill or or riot or whatever, but willing to die for it peacefully and willingly because you genuinely believe that what you're doing is right. This is what Gandhi uh, linked into in India when he confronted Churchill and (laughs) confronted the British that were there. He played on their Christian sympathies Mm -hmm. by being those martyrs. And when they marched to the sea and got beat up at the end, everyone saw that, or at least read about it, heard about it, and it moved their hearts to say, hey, wait, are we doing the right thing? And that's what he wanted to bring about. When the civil rights movement took place, they were willing to be martyrs. To go to jail, to have the water cannons, the dogs, literally the dogs sicked on. Christians saw that and responded. Correct. What we're dealing with right now is a different thing. Well, it's interesting, right? I mean, you break Friedrich Nietzsche, not to get too far in the weeds here, but his whole thing was, again, a critique, as you said, of Western civilization by the end of the 19th, early 20th centuries. And his whole thing was, you know, God is dead. We've killed him. We've killed the need for God. Well, that's played out today. Well, God was never alive, but the belief we've the killed. The belief that we've yeah. killed out, that we don't, need, we don't yeah. need a God any longer. And I think that's where we're seeing this today, that it's now become a power struggle. It's about, as Nietzsche would say, the will to power. Those who are the powerful will dominate those that who are the weak. That was one of his famous weak. lines, the will to power. And what we're seeing here now is this power struggle. I want to dominate you based on whatever ideology, whatever race, or whatever, and there's no way that we can ever, as human beings, come to that, I'm going to be more powerful, because it's going to always be this back and this forth. Who's in power? Who's not in power? So bringing it back to what we were talking about with regard to presidential elections and things, has moved away from... What is good for the nation? You know, John Kennedy talking about not ask not what you can do, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country is no longer in either party. It's what power can we have to affect our program? And the other party cannot be party in power. We're not going to share that power. We could get easily lost in presidential politics. I don't want to go there. Sure. There's just too many landmines with that (laughs) for a number of reasons. And it's really on both sides. I do want to go back to something interesting that you had talked about before, and it's this change that took place. I know in the 1920s and 30s, we had a move toward Nietzsche in a place sure. called Germany, which led to the philosophy behind National Socialism or Nazism. Mm-hmm. And I know that it was a return to the philosophy of Nietzsche that helped empower some of the ideologues behind the Soviet Union after the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And so what concerns me is that are we seeing some sort of a resurgence, whether they realize it or not, of of a similar type of thing happening. I want to go back for a moment. Sure. We're not going to have really time in this segment to go there, so we're going to have to probably do it for next segment. But sure. let me let me set it up a, a little bit. Our society historically changed dramatically in the Enlightenment period. So we have to go back a long time. Mm-hmm. So we go back to where we've got philosophers coming out before the American Revolution, mm-hmm. people like John Locke, correct, uh, who who wanted to find a reason other than there being a God. It actually goes back to Descartes, right. who wanted to establish the idea philosophically that uh, we exist, but can we do it without there being a God? And he doubted he could, and then he realized he was doubting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the establishment of our world without a God is what the Enlightenment essentially does, but it leads to a, a jettisoning amongst leadership, the the educated elite, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And we saw what happened in France. Now, in America, when we had our revolution, it wasn't much of a real revolution. It was a revolt politically and right. militarily. But we didn't change our society a whole lot. 
we were a colonial society that got its own nation, but we went on with much of our same lifestyle, both before right. and afterwards. Well, again, if you look at the American Revolution, it wasn't a revolution in the French revolutionary sense. We so broke from England. Well, we broke from England. We had a basic philosophical understanding that was still pretty much English, yeah. even though, I mean, there, at the beginning of our country's history, it was talked about making George Washington a king. But the French said, no. went mad. What happened? Well, again, they rejected all of the foundations of society. Okay, I think is they rejected God. At. They rejected the church, which exactly. was important to them in that place. They saw that Catholic as the church. oppressor, as the oppressor class, if you will. So they broke it into those things, and so anyone who didn't, and again, it became a self kind of eating them own selves, and eventually one group, you're not, you know, revolutionary enough, and we're more. So it devolved into that. Whereas that foundation of English philosophy of John Lockean philosophy is very different from from the philosophy that came out of. You know, social philosophy that came out of France. And so that's a difference, I think, that's now, there. Now, that happened because the leadership helped lead that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I go back to Les Miserables and the story that's behind it. And sure. what stands out about that story, it, again, is kind of an aftermath of the French Revolutions, yet one more attempt at trying to overthrow. But the s- real story behind that is the, the sincerity of the lives that are being lived and the mm-hmm. presence of this. And the people, you know, it ends in, in this heaven where all the people are uniting right. to bring about true justice. And it right. isn't necessarily what they thought it was, right, right. but they're still uniting behind that cause. And these people genuinely buy into this. They did then, too, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. And I, I guess when we come back, where I want to go with this is, so in the United States, we get to World War One. And things kind of, the wheels kind of come off in a way that I think we've forgotten about. Yes. But again, this is what we just mentioned a little bit ago. This is where Nietzsche came back. This is where the Nazis grew out of. Mm -hmm. This is where World War II was born. Correct. Was in the disappointment over God Mm -hmm. in World War I. Yes. We are talking about our current situation. We've gone awfully far in the weeds, but we're going to come out of it a little (laughs) bit more to talk a little more practically about What's been going on to help lead to the moment we're in in the United States? And maybe a little bit in our last section about what Catholics might be able to consider as they're moving forward. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Daryl Sequeira. We are talking about your nation and your faith. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope on the campus of Christ Cathedral, where Catholic faith is always crystal clear, and we hope it remains so today. We are talking about the state of our nation and our faith in the United States with one of our longtime favorite guests to talk about such topics, Daryl Sequeira, who has has graduate work in American history, religious history, social history, and we bring them on every once in a while when we just want to chat about what is going on. Good and to be back. For right now, what's going on is a whole bunch <laughs> of stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. Okay, we've been in the weeds a little bit talking about Nietzsche and talking about sure. all the roots that kind of come out of this. The bottom line is our nation about 100 years ago kind of changed a little bit, and people have forgotten a little bit about it. Tell us a little bit about your take on what happened after World War One. So, again, it's funny because when I taught history, we always refer to in history, in history classes, oh, the Great War. And they'll say, well, why is that called the Great War? Wasn't World War II much more destructive? And for a long time, I kind of, you know, thought, hmm, why does that thing? But when you look at what comes out of it, it's basically, to kind of boil it down, it's a loss in the faith of Western institutions in everything, whether it's democracy that failed whether it was a church that failed, all these began to question these things. That had some been a, people believe God failed us. God failed us, and that comes out of that Nietzschean philosophy that really took hold, particularly in places like Germany, which at the end of the war right. and into, in, into an economic depression. This is before the Great Depression and questioning everything about it. And what I think, you know, again, not to get too much historical data here, but what I think ends up happening is people are looking for answers. And if you're taking that idea of the will to power that Nietzsche talked about, then you're looking for a strong man who's going to lead us. Hence, the rise of people like Adolf Hitler in Germany, Benito Mussolini in, in Italy, and in Russia, the Soviet Union, again, going to the strong man of Stalin after Lenin. So these strong leaders, and there were many United States who looked at these kinds of things as actually kind of answers, especially when we got into the Great Depression, of strong leaders who could lead us through. So with that kind of undermining 
of Western civilization, particularly the Christian foundations of what Western civilization is all about, you look for people who are going to give you answers. And I kind of see a mirror in that ourselves today as we've gone out of the, we talked about earlier segment about the 1960s. We're looking for people who are strong leaders. And when we don't see strong leaders, we sometimes then have doubt in our own institutions. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on with our institutions. In, in the 1950s, over 80% of the population considered themselves a member of some religious organization. Most of them were mm-hmm. Protestant Christians sure. or Catholic Christians, and many of them were involved with those, meaning they went to church regularly. Now, what we discovered was people didn't stop being so religious as they left the institutions. Correct. So people are still searching. People who today classify themselves as nuns and nuns, Lanese, correct. Uh, really don't have no religious belief. They just haven't recognized an organization that they adhere to and question a lot of what mm-hmm. people describe as their formalized beliefs. But the bottom line is we've seen a huge decline in church attendance. Mm-hmm. When I was in Presbyterian seminary, and I am a convert, I will admit that, and I'm still mm-hmm. doing uh, penance for it. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm a, I converted right after seminary. I finished the, the Master's in Divinity and it kind of ruins your career as a Presbyterian minister. That, that will probably do it. But I wasn't the only one to leave. There were about 7 million people in some in the Presbyterian church uh, when I was in seminary. And my understanding now the numbers are in the 3 million range. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about half. And the joke in the seminary was with the last Presbyterian, please turn off the lights on the way out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just Presbyterians where that's happening to. There's a lot of denominations where that's happening. Now, there are other denominations where it isn't. But a lot of the old organized guard of the established Protestant churches, the mainline mm-hmm. Protestant churches, have been declining in their, their power and authority. So, too, we see this in Europe, and we see it in a lot of areas of America, the Catholic Church. Correct, yes. Attendance has declined tremendously. Now, what we are seeing is in what we call the Global South, whether we're talking about Africa or mm-hmm. in parts of Asia, the Christian church... And in particular, the Catholic Church is growing tremendously. Correct, yes. yes. But where's the power and money? It's still in Europe and the United States for that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I, the influence that they have on the lives of people has diminished so that people genuinely question, I think, what do we really believe? Mm-hmm. So you were saying that under those circumstances, if you start applying, well, what do we believe? People are going to look for something to fill in that void. Yeah, I think you know we have a spiritual void in our country. You know, while the, the global south may be economically poor and, and not have a lot of what we call the material things, we are a materially rich nation. And so people look towards materialism in ways that to fulfill their lives. So they buy things, they purchase things in the consumer society. And Pope Francis has talked about this in his Laudato Si. I mean, a lot of people think, well, that's just economic, that's just ecology or, or, or the, you know, the environment. There's a lot more to that document than just that. That's part of it. But this idea that we become part of this materialistic society, that we look for things to fulfill our lives. Things have become They become our God. Our God the, the material things. So what is my economic status? I mean, if you look at the recent uprisings in our cities, they went to get things and take things. And well, they targeted, somehow, they targeted things. Right. And it, somehow that's going to try to fulfill their lives. Now, again... Well, and it, it's interesting. To make that case for them, they bust people into some... Of the wealthier areas on Correct. purpose. Yes. Because they were trying to make a demonstration about things. And unfortunately, those who are were truly protesting injustice in our society yes. are then all tagged with that same kind of, of thing. But yes. And they were themselves saying, this is not what we're about. There was a large group of people who originally were part of the original protests. Who that, again, rightfully. What they were doing was right, that they were being co-opted by correct. other people. Who were and what's violent. the news media going to report are those things. And it gets out of hand. I mean, you raise people's emotions, things get out of hand. This is where, again, I think faith and religion helps to kind of temper those things in that sense. So, you know, going back to the, the idea that we're losing people through various institutions and, you know, people get into colleges, universities and places like that, and then the material world kind of creeps in there. Why do you go to college? You get a good job so I can make a good lot of money, have a good living. It's, it's all about finances. Finances in trying That wasn't why colleges were founded. No. We're looking for, you know, what we call, you know, the... the, the what do I believe about truth, life and, and what's beauty truth? And things. Yes. Yeah. That hasn't been part of that. And so, you know, not that science is a bad thing, but we get into scientism, which is the belief that all knowledge is simply in the material world. So we live in this material society 
that emphasize. Now, if you go to the global south. Now, wait, let's stop for a moment. We're, yes. we're, we're into the weeds a little okay. bit. I want to talk for just a moment about what you just said. So our society as a group has kind of substituted what you termed scientism as kind of a, a, a check on reality. Yes. And if you can't prove it from the physical things around me, I'm not sure it's real. Right. And for the younger generations, I think especially, that means you can't prove God. I'm not sure he's real. Right. I don't care what you say about him. Mm -hmm. You can't prove an objective morality. You can't prove things that don't directly affect me, either pros or cons, are moral. I'm not sure I believe it. Well, again, it goes to that idea of, of scientism. Of, yeah, that scientism, that, that you can't prove the existence of a divine being a god. So therefore, I'm not going to believe it. But that also leads then to when it comes to morality, what we'll call a subjectivism. Yeah. That things, there is no objective truth. Truth is whatever you want to do. Again, this goes back to our friend we've been talking about, Friedrich I can, Nietzsche. I can believe I am whatever I want to believe. <laughs> I, want I don't to want believe. to go there either. But no, but that's that, been a hallmark of that this too. is again whether you know we're not getting to those areas. But the idea that truth does not exist—that's been kind of the struggle when I teach in, in my high school classes—is well, how do you, can you define truth? Well, it's an objective truth that exists. The church has always taught that the objective truth is God. Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And without that truth. You are really foundationalists. You don't have a foundation on which to build. So it goes back to, again, who's the powerful, who's the strong, who can show me what the truth is at this moment in time. And again, if we look at the history of the 20th century and we look at our as we're in the 21st century now, 100 years removed from, you know, the Second World War, a little bit more than that, a First World War, excuse me. We're seeing those same kinds of things. We haven't answered those questions, and I think that's where we kind of need to focus on as a church, but within our own individual families. This is John Paul's new evangelization yes. coming to full fruition, the results of not having done it. Yes. So that where we're finding our greatest upheaval is in Europe and the United States. Yes. And it's in the areas of cities that used to be great and powerful mm -hmm. and learning centers and, and leading centers. That's where we're finding the most uh, upheaval, chaos, and questioning. Mm -hmm. And the reality is a lot of what's happening out there, if I'm hearing you right, is because of this loss that we had after World War One that was never really answered mm -hmm. with an effective way of saying God is still in control. We ended up having too much faith in ourselves to right. to be Christendom, that when Christians destroyed each other in World War One, we thought Jesus was ineffective. Right. And the lesson we took from that was wrong. Mm -hmm. The lesson we should have ta taken was, no, human beings are ineffective, get back to Jesus. Right. That what should have been come from that is not that we can solve all of humanity's problems by a government agency, whether it was you know the League of Nations, but that what we need to do is focus back on what did we lose in our faith? How do we go astray? Well, you know, that early 20th century was, again, about the new technologies, radio coming for the first time, people being able to fly, all this instant all of these things. We put that faith in that technology at the time, which today we look at and we say, well, if we fly all the time, we have the telephone, now we have the Internet. So those technologies that really upheave the world at that time are what we're seeing today in social media, that it there's an upheaval with that. You can make direct connections. Again, if you don't understand history, this is my, my kind of mantra of my class. You don't understand history, that old mantra is you're doomed to repeat it. We haven't learned those lessons. We haven't taken these new technologies. So how can they be used for good? So we rant and rave, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, and we talk past each other. We don't have a dialogue going on. Well, we, we don't have a centrality to our faith in, in to ground society them. either. Mm -hmm. We used to believe that Jesus Christ had started a, a church we may not have been all in agreement as to what that church looked like or was. Mm -hmm. So Catholics might say that they're the only church and Protestants might say collectively all the churches together are the church. And then in the end, since really World War One, society has kind of come to the conclusion that there is no effective church. Mm -hmm. And what it sounds like is missing is that Jesus Christ is no longer the center to our lives. We no longer trust that he can bring about the morality of love for human beings. I mean, when we talk about people being oppressed and persecuted, you can do all the protesting you want and even violent protesting, but mm -hmm. it's not going to bring about a change of heart. No. What brings about a change of heart is conversion to the love of God that Nietzsche despised. Yes. Nietzsche yes. saw that as being weakness and that that's absolutely wrong. And frankly, the power of violence simply distorts that. Right. 
Well, I mean, if you go back to Nietzsche that he's rejecting God, I think we've had over 100 years of rejecting God, and we've seen where it's gotten us to. It hasn't improved humanity. It hasn't improved our ability to love one another. It's made it far worse. So maybe it's time as a country, as a, as a church, that we look and refocus our own spiritual lives and our own families, starting there. So when we come back, Daryl, I want to talk about what our considerations are. I, I think, even though it's that we've gotten in the weeds a little bit, I think we've done a pretty good job of outlining, while there's genuine good reason why people are out there protesting, sure. a lot mm-hmm. of the magnifying glass that's been put on it has been a long time coming, especially in how our our national faith has diminished. Mm-hmm. So when we come back there, I want to talk about what Catholics might be considering in order to be better prepared to confront what we have been engaged in. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Daryl Sequeira, and we're talking about how our nation is engaged in a display of its own chaos, and that this has been a long time coming. But there are solutions, and it starts with Jesus Christ, and we'll talk more about that when we come back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Daryl Sakara. And before I go any further, Daryl, I want to make sure I take a moment to thank you for coming in. This very, very challenging mine, landmine loaded topic of trying to address upheaval in our society right now and what might be behind it. But more importantly, and in this section, we want to talk about what might be coming from it. So thank you for coming on. You're welcome. It was always my pleasure. And I want to get back for a moment. Okay, we've kind of established that we need to get back to our centrality of faith as a basis for who we are as a people. Mm-hmm. And we've lost a lot of that yes, since really have. World War One. So with that in mind, let's go back for a moment. The original ministry of Jesus Christ when he walked the earth was one of selflessness. Mm-hmm. And he was willing to brave the crowds even the ridicule of crowds, in order to say, God loves you, the war is over, come home. Yeah. In fact, God the Father loves you so much, he's willing to adopt you. All you have to say is yes, and they'll live that way. Mm-hmm. And he was willing to even go to Jerusalem where he was going to face ridicule, scorn, torture, and death in order to inspire and empower his small group of people to spread this. And for the first couple hundred years, it seemed to go pretty well. Mm-hmm. We had lots of torment. Sure. We had times of uh, persecution, though most of that was locally done, we find out. But you always had this idea that my Christianity means that I'm not of this world in the end. I'm of Christ's world. And therefore, while I want to do the best I can with this life, to live a good life as a man or a woman, and to raise my family as a man or a woman... If I have to go, I'm, I trust that God will be with me. Mm-hmm. How do we get that back? Rick, I think it really, again, as we've discussed on previous episodes of the show, it goes back to our own families and our own children. You know, when my kids are seeing these things on TV or over the Internet, you know, they question. They question. So as a parent, I have to say, okay, yes, these things are happening. But do not fear. Jesus said, if you believe in me, do not fear. Be not afraid, Be not said afraid. John Paul II. You, you need to, again, approach your family starting number one and open that dialogue with them. Pray with your kids. These are times when, again, everything is turned upside down. I mean, their school year ended. We had this, you know, the coronavirus come through and everything gets shut down. Their, their worlds are turned upside down. We need to reinstate and re, um, not educate, but rebuild our own spiritual lives within our family. So it goes back to prayer, number one, within the family, starting at the smallest, most local level. That's where you can affect that change. To not let your kids get, you know, overwhelmed by this, but be the support for them. If, you know, you're a single parent, then find relatives who could help you with that as well. You need, we need to, as a society, go back to that. And I realize in these difficult times when, you know, church attendance is limited, et cetera, this is where it goes back to the, to the original church, which is your family. And I think that's where we as parents and as a society need to begin to rebuild. We found Jesus in the Eucharist. Yes. When the, on the road to Emmaus, they only recognized the traveler with them was Jesus at the breaking at the of Eucharist. the bread. Right. And we need to get back to the Eucharist. Yes. We need to get back to the centrality of Christ physically, spiritually, in our lives. And not just, you know, proclaim it, I'm going to church on Sunday, 
or but really to have that become the center of our lives. I think that trying to put a program in place is inevitably going to fail. This is not about progress. It's not about a program. This is about our own conversion, as we've been talking about, to dedicating our lives to Christ. And if you're genuinely Christian, you're going to hopefully radiate that out to the people who are out there. It's not a, you know, telling them they're, they're evil or they're condemned, but to live your life of joyous Christianhood. You know, I know Pope Francis has talked immensely about this, about being the joyous Christian. No one likes somebody who's kind of crabby and, you know, is always angry. But the joyous Christian, they're going to look and say, why are you so happy? Even in this time of upheaval, <laughs> why are you happy? And that's the moment I think that we can share with our families. And then from there, as we begin to reopen and reassociate, to bring that message. I think right now it's difficult to do that because of all the things that we're experiencing. I heard a great homily by one of our local leaders in uh, Bishop Barron mm-hmm. when he was giving his homily on the on Ascension Thursday. And it was interesting because he was talking about how Jesus didn't just go up and away into heaven by mm-hmm. by Jesus. Mm-hmm. He moved from this dimension to another dimension, mm-hmm. but he's still here. Yes. We can't see him, but he's there. And it's like, it was even made an interesting analogy, kind of a, an offhanded comment that he kind of, he sits down at the right hand of power, kind of like taking over the cob of the, of the Starship <laughs> Enterprise. Uh, he's in control. Mm-hmm. And don't forget that Jesus didn't leave. Jesus is here. And when we die, we will be with him, God willing, yes. and, and our own selves. You know, some people say, well, you Catholics don't know if you're going to heaven or not. Yes, you do. You know when you've committed mortal sin. Mm -hmm. You know when you have to get to confession. Go back to confession, and then you you know that you love Christ. Then live it out. Yes. It's not that hard if you think about it. And then live that way as if you don't, you're not attached to anything here. Mm -hmm. But yet this place is where you are doing your ministry. Our job is to bring the love of God around us. Yeah to the people who have been historically oppressed, mm-hmm. to the people who have been historically hurt by organizations and by institutions. Mm-hmm. And so the people who have been hurt and are protesting now, they have our love and sympathy for their cause on, yes. on that level. Yes. But that where we're coming from is still a centrality of Christ, and our methods aren't about coercion and violence. Our methods are about love and sharing that love, mm-hmm. even if it means at the expense of ourselves. Yes. And it's about that idea of forgiveness, that we need to learn to forgive one another for the things that we've done that are wrong. Again, this is not, you know, a kind of let's kneel down before people. The only person I believe in kneel down before God. If I can kneel before God, then I can stand shoulder to shoulder with you in the things that you're facing, the struggles you're facing in life. I, I believe in kneeling as long as not the kneeler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because my Lord and my God is present at right. that point. But what you're trying to say is, regardless of whether or not that's effective as a as a demonstration, mm-hmm. we're beyond demonstrations. No, we, we we need to move beyond the demonstrations. We need to get to the core transformation of our values, and that doesn't mean going backward. Mm-hmm. I, I like Fulton Sheen's comment. It's not that Christianity has tried and failed. It's it's never been, been tried. tried. Right. And I think our society perhaps abandon its trial back about World War One, mm-hmm. and we're now wondering why we can't get it back, but we've never really tried it. Mm-hmm. And perhaps what we need to consider as individuals, and everyone who's listening right now, you're an individual. Mm-hmm. What does Jesus really mean to you in your life? What does your commitment to Christ really mean? Is it about your whole life, or is it a hobby? Or is, is he something you just do on a Sunday for an hour? Is, is he an he, avocation he, and, a, and a, something you play with? Right, exactly. And I think, again... You know, God is with us throughout all the ages. We're in a different age. So what worked in the 18th, 19th centuries is not going to work. Or seem to work. Seem to work. I mean, again, you will move through through history. you got these periods where there's a great deal. And then all of a sudden. Slavery was wrong. All those things were wrong. And yet people didn't notice it then because something wasn't quite right. We're not done yet, though. No, we're on a continuous journey to, to heaven. And that's what we need to realize, that as much as the technology and the wealth that we have in our country today and in Western society today, if we can use and use that term anymore, is something which we've built and removed God from. How do we evangelize to a country, to a civilization, to a a culture that has rejected the idea of God? That's the key mission, I think, that we have as a church today. And it's going to start, in the end, each individual coming to a deeper prayer life with God, a deeper commitment to God, Mm -hmm. 
because if individuals say it's kind of like wearing your own mask in a way. Yes. If you're going to make that work, then everyone has to wear the mask. Correct. And you, well, everyone has to look at who God is in their lives mm-hmm. and embrace God with all their heart and their mind and their soul, which is what we were called to do in the first place. Correct. When the rich young man came to Jesus in Matthew 18 and he was asked, you know, good teacher, he asked good teacher, what good must I do? Jesus said, you know, the commandments follow them. Mm-hmm. He says, I've done all of them my entire life. He says, well, one thing you lack is Jesus noticed he's rich. Sell all that you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And he went away sad because even though he had, quote, followed Jesus. Well, all the rules. He it was, was all a hobby. Yeah. It because wasn't the centrality of his life was in his achievements and his, and his wealth. Mm-hmm. And Jesus made that point. It is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And there's lots of people who try to explain that away. No, he meant a camel can't go through the eye of a needle unless God does it. Mm -hmm. And that's the point is a rich man can get into heaven. And all of us in the United States are pretty much rich people. We've been given a great culture. Regardless of what you want to talk about privilege in that, let's just face the idea that we have a, a great wealth here. Are we attached to it? Either because we don't have it and want it, we want our share, or because we do have it and want to hold on to it, or are we going to get through the eye of the needle because we have turned everything over to God? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we lack in our commitment to Christ. How do you get into heaven if you've inoculated yourself from Christ and from the church by going to church only on Sundays and allowing your occasional rosary to become mm-hmm a substitute for a true, dedicated commitment to God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then again, that re- re- translates into how do you perform your at your job, your work, your vocation that God's called you to? Do you bring Christ into your work, whether it's in the bank, whether it's as a police officer, whether it's a firefighter, a nurse, all those people who are out there? Do you really live the Christian life in your vocation that you've been called to do in your job? You know, I think that's probably where, again, if we're looking at how do we transform our nation, how do we get beyond the violence and the division, it's really taking our vocation seriously and living that Christian call in everything that we do, not just on the Sunday at church, not just when I pray the rosary, but in everything that I do. And that's going to translate to how you raise your kids, how you talk to them about God. You need to speak to your kids about God. I think that's the number one thing that we can do. Daryl, I want to thank you for this discussion and a little bit of insight What's good is that we still know what to do, really. Even in spite of all of the pain and all of the chaos and the problems, we need to get back to Jesus. And this needs to be a a wake-up call. Talk about being woke. Mm -hmm. A wake-up call to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Daryl, if you would be so kind as to lead us in a brief word of prayer, I think we would all be deeply appreciative. Great. name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we just place before you again, once again, our world as we go through these things together. May we be united in Christ. May we move forward in Christ. May he be the central thing that we as Catholics, as Christians, continue to proclaim that good news, the gospel message of Jesus, to all who need to hear it. And we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Once again, Daryl, thank you for fearlessly coming on. But as you know, if you're talking about Jesus Christ, there is no fear. Be not afraid. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, you're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been Daryl Sakara, and we are on the internet through Orange County Catholic Radio. And Orange County Catholic, OCCatholic.com is where our website is. If you go to OCCatholic.com and go to the radio tab, you can find all sorts of different radio programs that we produce, including the flagship Orange County Catholic Radio. You can go there and download the podcast, and you can hear this again, or you can send the link to someone else, and you can share this. And on a program like this one, I hope that you will do that regularly. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will see you again next week.